reposted the photo with a very blanket statement just saying my hamstring is okay but sexist and derogatory comments aren't and I think people without even knowing what I was talking about literally just agreed and they just said you know here here say it for the people in the back kind of thing. G'day and welcome to The Good Life, Andrew Lee in Conversation, a podcast about living a happier, healthier and more ethical life. Our society puts a lot of emphasis on smarts, but not enough on wisdom. So this podcast seeks out wise people who can share their insights on passion, grit, love and empathy. We'll discuss everything from sport to parenting and hear the stories of some of the world's wisest souls. If you enjoy the podcast, let your friends know so they can share the insights. Now, let's dive in to today's conversation. Taylor Harris is one of Australia's most successful athletes. She plays centre-half forward for Carlton and has played in the AFL women's All-Australian team. She is the Australian female boxing champion in the middleweight and super welterweight categories. But she's perhaps best known for a photo taken of her on the 17th of March 2019, showing her a metre off the ground, leg extended. If you're like most of us, you probably saw that photo and thought it was pretty great. But a small number of people used it as a chance to troll Taylor. She, for her part, turned that into a teachable moment. Even writing a children's book, More Than a Kick, which came out this year. Partly as a result, 23-year-old Taylor is now one of Australia's best-known sports people. Taylor, thanks so much for joining me on the Good Life podcast today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So you're an athlete. Let's start with your training. What did you do today? This morning, I dragged myself out of bed and I went down to the footy field, the local footy field and did my running program that the footy club assigns to us. And that sucked. <laughs> so I don't So is this intervals? Uh, yeah, today it was, uh, what did I, uh, two minutes on, one minute off, half a dozen times, and then 30 seconds, fartlek kind of stuff. So, um, yep. more appropriate for a game uh, of footy uh, rather than just a long run. Uh, so it was, yeah, on, on and off kind of stuff and it's pretty tough. Um, but I got through and then had a kick of the footy as well with my friends and then came home and had a shower and then got a coffee. Um, so that's been my morning and now we're chatting. What do you feel like you're training for at the moment? It must be strange not quite knowing what your next event is. You, you don't have anything in the calendar for uh, for boxing matches at the moment, do you? And, and AFL's presumably not until 2021 now? Well, that, that's right. I It's really hard to maintain that motivation. And it's, I've certainly had my ups and downs in terms of motivation. And uh, I think everyone has every athlete during this time but I think for me as someone who wants to be the best best version of myself it's whether it's next month or next year I still want to make sure I'm using this time to my advantage and making sure that I'm continuing on with training and whether I have a competition or not I'm going to be ready for whenever that is and whether it's a, a long way away or if it's just around the corner it's it's hard to know but I'm definitely just trying my best to maintain my fitness and make sure that I'm making the most of this time that I'm sure could be seen as a bit stagnant but uh, yeah I'm definitely maintaining my workload. 
So one of the things I love about your approach to sport is you're so incredibly diverse across sports. Uh, over the last couple of weeks, as I've been preparing for this interview, I was also uh, reading Andre Agassi's autobiography, Open, uh, and his story is, is almost the polar opposite to yours. Uh, Tennis-mad father forces him into tennis at a young age, never plays anything else, hates tennis all the way through. You seem to do every sport and just go where you, where, where you love. Uh, and to have been pretty darn good at a bunch of different sports. Is that, is that how you think about sport in your growing up, in your childhood? Yeah, I definitely only play because I enjoy it, because I like the feeling of, of what that sport kind of gives to me and provides for me. So the, I always say, and everyone's aware in my circle, that the second I don't enjoy it or it's not for me or I'm not getting that satisfaction from the sport, I can walk away. I, I don't have any kind of ties necessarily, but I think for me, of course, the person that I am, I want to make the most of the opportunities that I have and I want to be the best at that particular moment. But in terms of pursuing individual sports, of course, I've got boxing and footy, but you know, if there's an opportunity that came up for something really random and I enjoyed it, I'd take it. Like I, I just, I just like to, to do what I feel like that particular day. <laughs> and, yeah, I think with boxing, obviously, being such a unique sport, especially for women uh, and different, much different to footy, I suppose it's hard for people to really understand where that's come from. But in reality, there's so much crossover and so many things that I can thank boxing for to make me a better footy player and vice versa. So um, as much as pursuing two sports is time consuming and can be difficult to juggle I feel like that crossover that they give each other is the advantage that no one else has. So let's dive into each of them and then come to come to that crossover. Uh, I, I know very little about uh, about boxing but I'm fascinated to read you saying in a, in a past interview that for you boxing isn't about aggression uh, and I remember watching the, the video of your win over Marguerite Butcher and and there's this devastating flurry of punches to her, her head. Then you do two things. You run over and hug your coach, Farris, and then you go back to check on Marguerite. Uh, you do seem to have a different attitude to your opponents than a lot of boxers. Well, I think that's my point of difference because I'm not there to hurt someone. I'm not there for that. I don't, like, I don't need that emotional kind of anger Thing. I, all I am there to do is my job and my coach has assigned me a task and that's to, whether it is to win or to knock out or to, um, you know, I've, we've got a game plan. I just need to execute that. So that's how I think about it. And I had a lot of trouble getting over, especially initially, that, that first kind of knockout and that first brutal punch because it was really tough for me to actually see my opponent hurt and then continue but Farris, my coach, said to me one day when I, it was for my first Australian title fight, he said, do you think for a second that she's going to you know, spare you in order to get what you're both working for? And I well, obviously know like, that's, that's not the sport. And then I kind of got a bit of a reality check. And um, he said, like, she's standing in the way of, of what you're working for and what we work so hard for. And as soon as he said we... I was kind of like, oh, okay, I better, I better do it then. Um, and it went from 
hurting someone more to like a, a target board. Um, and if I get her, you know, in, in the stomach, I'll get this many points. If I get her a couple times or if I landed a solid punch, like all these things in my mind, it's very technical for me as opposed to emotional or violent. What's it like to, uh, to take a, a big hit to the head in a boxing match? It's, it's not ideal. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a, yeah, it's a bit of a shock to the system for, for a second, but I suppose that's what training's for. You, you do sparring uh, in order to, to understand that feeling before you get in the ring. You, you always want to be able to, I guess, understand what that feeling is before you actually get out in front of all your friends and family that come and watch you. Um, yeah. It, for me though, during the fight, it's not as if I dwell on that particular punch that got me. The second it happens, I'm over it and I'm on to the next one. And I kind of think, okay, well that means I have to get her twice now because she's got me once. If that makes sense. Yeah, and I guess that goes back to your point about it uh, not being about violence and aggression for you and more a kind of, almost the way you, you, you sort of in, describe it, it feels like you're thinking of it like a video game. Uh, they've got more, some points, you've got to get some more points uh, to, to get them back. What's it like, though, to actually knock someone out? Uh, I mean, you, you, said it, you said it wasn't for, uh, for hurting someone, but that's a, that's a lot of hurt when someone gets knocked out. It is, uh, and... The first time I ever knocked someone down, uh, I, I actually kind of tried to pick her up and, I, and catch her. And then I noticed like everyone in the crowd was kind of like, what are you doing? Like, don't do that kind of thing. Um, and then, yeah, I kind of stood back into the neutral corner and then I had to come back and finish the fight. But I think with boxing, like, of course, you're giving everything to that particular event and that fight and so you're you're beyond exhausted like your body is um at the absolute limit and I suppose when you can have that opportunity to finish the fight it's a relief like you it's not just knocking your opponent out it's it means like you've won it means you have you get to stop it means you don't have to push any further it means like you might you know the risk of you getting hurt or knocked out or losing is zero because it's all over. Like there's so many things that go through your head. And the la the only thing that doesn't go through my head is, is, you know, that, um, that I've intentionally hurt her. That's it's the game, you know, like she is across the ring with every knowledge that this could happen as I am. How do you deal with uh, with opponents who don't take that sort of attitude opponents who, uh, who bring a whole lot of anger and aggression into the ring? Well, I, it doesn't really change my outlook at all in the in the weigh-in, which is sometimes a bit tense. I'm I'm always smiling and I'm I'm very prepared to you know say good luck and and all the best. And, and then when we walk out to the ring and I'm smiling, I'm waving at my friends, I'm having a good time. And if my opponent isn't, that doesn't you know that doesn't matter to me. That's that tells me that she's a different you know, goes about things in a different way. And whether it's a good or bad thing, it doesn't, it, there's no proof either way. But for me, if I'm not smiling and having a good time, then, you know, that's not, that's not good for me. Um, I just love it. I love the sport. I love the fact that I've worked so hard to get here and all my friends are here to support me and I feel great. And my coach is right by my side and he will be there, win, lose or draw. You know, I, 
yeah, I, I just feel very fortunate to be in the position I am. So I just love it. I just enjoy it uh, as opposed to feel the need to be all angry. And some people do for sure. And that, that's how they operate. But for me, that's not how I operate. Do you worry about the, the long-term risk of injury? I mean, we're, we're only learning now about uh, uh, more and more about concussion risk. And certainly as they uh, dissect the brains of older, uh, older boxers, uh, things don't look great. Uh, are, you, uh, are you aiming to, uh, to keep that career relatively short or are there, are there ways you can protect against that sort of long-term damage to your, your precious brain? I worry about the risk of damage more so in footy, to be honest. Really? Okay. Yeah. So with football, of course, you've got knees and elbows coming from all directions. And it's, I feel worse physically after a footy game, as in beaten up, than I do after a boxing fight. And I think women's boxing is a little bit different. Of course, there's studies and things, but, you know, it's just, it's fact that uh, there's not as many knockouts and there's not as many, you know, hard punches to the head. Everyone's got the same brain. Um, but in women's boxing, it's, it's not so, I guess, uh, well, obviously there's not as many studies, but I mean, it's, you know, it's just fact that um, these blows aren't as, as powerful, but on a footy field, like if someone's going full speed and knees you in, in the head, like that's, that's the same men or, or women. So um, yeah. And then not only brain injuries, but you've got knee injuries. You've got every, like, I've got some shoulder things that I have to deal with at the moment and I'm 23 um, and I wonder, is that going to be a, the rest of my life? Like, am I going to have not great shoulders? So to answer your question, I think, and as, uh, you know, I'm sure a lot of people wouldn't agree with this or wouldn't consider this, but I, I do think football, I'm more likely to have long-term injuries than boxing. That's so interesting. Uh, so let's uh, let's move on to your uh, your footy career. You uh, uh, were the only girl playing for the Aspley Hornets uh, as a kid uh, at a time when uh, presumably a whole lot of uh, your classmates were doing uh, netball or ballet or uh, many of the sort of more traditional uh, women's sports. Uh, what attracted you to AFL? Well, my dad played football. My uncle played. My cousins played. It was kind of the thing to do. My brother was playing under sevens, I think. And I was just there and I just joined in and I was five years old. And then that's, you know, how it started and I never stopped. Um, so it was one of those moments where I just was there and joined in and had fun and just kept doing it. And my parents encouraged me to do whatever I enjoyed. So I was fortunate enough to have support, not only from my family, but then the, the footy club, the team of, well, at the time it was boys, the team of boys, they just um, welcomed me like anyone else and there's no difference for me in gender especially when I was young growing up because the footy club was so inclusive uh, and accept accepted me for who I was and and that was female of course but even you know my personality and um, I was pretty confident and happy to get involved in, in, in and under so I think I was I think I was fortunate to have landed at that particular footy club which is the Astley Hornets and I still love the Astley Hornets and I still uh, am in contact with a lot of people there and whenever I go back to Queensland I visit uh, all the time so so that's that's how it started and it never stopped. And you couldn't have been born at a better time in terms of uh, the AFL Women's League taking taking off. Uh, it, it, what, um, 
what prompted your move into that much more senior level of, uh, of, of footy and, and then to uh, make the switch from the, the Lions down to Carlton? Well, it's just kind of how it happened. I, can't, I couldn't believe that the timing for me, like I turned 18 and then this brand new league happens and I was the minimum age to be involved. And so I, you know, I was excited and it sounded great and there was no, uh, you know, there was no pre-existing league. So it's hard to know what I was signing up for, but I just was ambitious and it sounded like a great idea and, you know, I had nothing else to do. So <laughs> I was looking forward to <laughs> being a part of something new and exciting. And, and I knew for a fact that it was going to be able to allow young girls to see what they can be, you know, like, and, and I grew up assuming I was going to play men's AFL and then got a reality check at like 14. Then this came along not too long, probably two years later, the idea of it. And then the actual league came and uh, yeah, I was first, you know, I was first to, to sign up and was just really excited to be a part of something so great. And then my move to Melbourne uh, was one of personal development. I just wanted to challenge myself and live out of home uh, and not only down the road, I couldn't just go home for cook dinner. I, I wanted to be able to learn to, live and of course people aren't going to understand but yeah I was playing playing footy and I happened to end up playing for Carlton and I'm glad I did that but I moved because I wanted to because I wanted to challenge myself because I wanted to try new things I wanted to live um yeah it was well obviously with AFRW is nothing to do with money <laughs> I mean if it was I'm sure a lot of a lot more people would be moving around but you know it was just a, a move that I felt like I wanted and I and I needed and that's how it unfolded yeah there's many great things about uh, brisbane but i don't think anyone would ever argue that it is more afl mad than melbourne uh, so clearly you've uh, you've gone to the uh, the heart of the sport uh and uh, you got a bit of harassment at that time right for from uh, some of the some of the brisbane fans uh, how did you how did you react to that because you would have just been a teenager at that point yeah, there was a few people not too happy with my decision and I was 18, 19 and it was very confusing. For me, I'd played for that footy club for literally six or seven games or something like that and it, and it just, you know, baffled me how passionate and it, in a good way, I was just, I was amazed about how passionate people got and I took it as a compliment because you don't, you know, you don't, you don't ridicule or you don't harass someone if you don't, if you want them to leave, you know, like obviously they... Um, I guess enjoyed my contribution, and then when I was going, they were just angry about it. And uh, it was full on. There was some pretty brutal comments made from some diehard fans. But yeah, as I said, I took it as a compliment because you just don't do that if you if you don't care or you don't think anyone is much good. Of course, if you if you think they're not good, you just you know let them go and say good riddance. But this wasn't the case, so I was. Um, I was quickly told by a mentor of mine that that's the outlook I should try and have and I agreed, so that's how I went about it. Yeah, there's an old uh, stoic philosophy line that uh, there's two kinds of criticisms. There's true criticisms for which you should say thank you and uh, think about whether you should change your behaviour and then there's false criticisms which should just be ignored. Um, I've always liked the philosophy but I've found it very hard to, to put into pra practice all the time in my own life. Absolutely. 
so that was, of course, just a, a precursor in some sense to, uh, to the reaction that came from your uh, terrific, uh, the, the terrific photo of you taken by Michael Wilson against that West, Western Bulldogs uh, match in 2019. Uh, take us through the events of, uh, of, of that day, uh, how the photo was taken and, and what the reaction was afterwards. Yeah, that was a, um, it seems like a lifetime ago, but it, you know, it wasn't too long ago, a year and a half, I think. Uh, and yeah, it was, it was something that it was completely unexpected, completely unwarranted, and uh, I couldn't have prepared. So obviously I've played played footy that week and uh, just went about things as I normally do. And, and I happened to kick the footy right on the, right around the 50 metre line. And that was uh, Michael's uh, line of sight. So, you know, it kind of worked out perfectly with that uh, photographer athlete combination and I uh, just did my normal kicking routine and kicked the footy and uh, the photo he managed to get was, you know, obviously he's an incredible photographer, but it just, you know, it, it takes a lot to frame it the way he did. All the, all these sort of things uh, it can be credit to Michael and I will be in awe of his ability. And then of course he uploaded that online and um, rightfully so kind of said, you know, check out this photo and, Plenty of people did, it. and then Seven AFL, which is a obviously a very popular Facebook page, but renowned for uh, some pretty nasty comments, I suppose, from from people who follow the footy. And then that photo went up on Seven AFL, and then there's a lot of you know disgusting comments, not only sexist but misogynistic and violent as well, and disturbing. And and then I saw it just I, I was just you know around the comments and then um I reposted the photo with a very blanket statement just saying uh I gotta remember the exact word my hamstring is okay but sexist and derogatory comments aren't and I think people without even knowing what I was talking about literally just agreed and they just said you know here here that's you know say it to the people in the back kind of thing and then uh, yeah, and then I guess other people recognised what was happening on 7AFL's post and then the screenshots and it was, just, yeah, it just kind of went crazy and I didn't expect that at all. I, I posted it and kind of had dinner and went to bed, like and not much happened. And then the next morning was just crazy, like my phone was going crazy and on the news and like my manager Alex was ringing, telling me to, you know, get up and get ready, we're going on the radio and I just thought this is crazy, like I've just, I'm tired, I've just played footy. <laughs> Um, I've got, you know, I've got training tonight, but then so many people have shown their support and I felt a bit of a responsibility and I went on the radio that morning with Daniel Harford, my coach at the time. So it was, of course, I trusted him and he asked questions and pre prepared me beforehand as well, but asked questions that were, uh, you know, that were not going to make me uncomfortable, but allow me to have a platform to speak. And I did, and I just spoke honestly and and as I felt, I was there was no script. No one told me what to say. No one told me what to do. I just spoke as I thought was the right thing to do. And of course, people clearly agreed, and they they felt represented and they felt empowered. So that's when it, it got legs and it kind of took off because not only was I speaking on behalf of myself, but I was speaking on behalf of women and men who have women in their lives who are affected by this kind of vitriol. So I I just yeah, it was an amazing thing to watch unfold. 
it was pretty crazy to be in the middle of it. But now I look back and I can appreciate that the support that I had was the only reason that I was able to get through it the way I did because I just had these amazing people all around me just, you know, had my back and would pick me up if I ever was down. And, it, yeah, it was just it was unbelievable. I always reflect on it and I think how lucky I am to have the support around me that I do. Well, you're lucky to have that support, but I think we're lucky that you decided to turn that a moment of, of horrible bile into something which really shaped the conversation for the better. Uh, do you think it was that experience coming out of the lines that, uh, that made you willing to, to talk about what was going on, to name the vitriol and to, uh, and to ask uh, the, the club to stand with you? Because I understand, you know, initially a lot of the, uh, the senior people were backing off. Seven took the photo down. Carlton weren't keen on people speaking to the press. It was really you that turned that around. Yeah, I think in my nature and the way that I was brought up was to stick up for people and, of course, myself. Like, I'm, if I believe something, I will push it, you know, till the ends of the earth. I think it's the most important quality to have is is that confidence in yourself and, and what you believe in. And I think that's just purely what I did. Like, I wasn't going to take no for an answer. I thought it was the wrong thing, so I talked about it. And I think given the platform and the... Uh, I guess the media that surrounded the scenario just gave me the perfect, you know, the microphone or the megaphone. I was just like, stop it. You know, like I don't, I don't stop it. I don't like it basically. And then of course other people kind of reached, well, as soon as I said anything, like people reached out and said, you're helping me. And that's all I needed. I don't, like, I don't, I'm happy to stand in the firing line and, and deal with it, everything. But as long as someone is, being affected in a positive way or I'm helping someone then that's all I need like I'll happily continue to push forward and for the rest of my life I'm going to have people say smart ass comments or make you know criticism about the statue criticism about you know my my whinging and in um and, and whatever like but these people they just they'll never they don't get it and they'll never get it so they can be left behind but if you want to you know if you want to join this movement and this change and this better society, then get on board because it's not stopping, obviously. Like how powerful was that one scenario? Imagine, you know, imagine the next big thing that happens. It's just going to be, it's going to be a fall. And you've just uh, casually mentioned the statue there, but it is pretty darn impressive to have a, bronze statue of yourself, uh, then age 22, unveiled in uh, Federation Square. Uh, what's it like to, uh, to, to see a statue of yourself? Oh, it's, it's crazy. <laughs> I still can't wrap my hand around it, but all I can do is be very aware from the start that this statue is not, like, yeah, I happen to be in it, but it's about the scenario, it's about the the people it represents hundreds of thousands of people that were that felt represented that felt empowered during the whole saga and I and I think if and I've and I know for a fact that young girls go up to that statue and take a photo with it and kind of say that's going to be me or I'm, I'm going to stand up for myself too kind of thing then it's perfect but if anyone thinks that it's for my footy ability then you, you're silly because <laughs> I've done nothing but that particular scenario 
um, it's just emulated in that particular photo. As it's just that's the the logo essentially of this of of the movement. Um, it, it makes sense, you know. Like if you think about it in in not such a narrow-minded way, it, it makes total sense why it's appropriate, why it's powerful, why it's necessary. Right, and I think of it as being about sexism in sport in the same way as the statue of Peter Norman is about racism in sport. Uh, we don't have a statue of Peter Norman because uh, he uh, picked up silver in the in the 200 metres in the 1968 Mexico Olympics. It's because he stood for, for human rights uh, alongside Smith and Carlos. Um, so that's, that's, those symbols are, are really important, uh, particularly at a time in which we're sort of having conversations over the, uh, the other statues that uh, might not always represent the most, uh, most enlightened old blokes from past eras. Absolutely. I, I think, yeah, it's, statues are an incredible thing. Like people get so angry about, you know, a, a piece of metal um, or, or, or bronze. But you know, it's it's much bigger than that. It's a it's a statement, and it's not cheap. So obviously, you know, big big industries, big businesses, they they believe it. And in my case, it was NAB um, who made the statue happen. And you know, NAB is is a well-renowned bank um, that you know that back people and organisations that are doing the right thing for for change, for women, for race, for everything. So I think it's yeah, pretty telling. If you're brave enough to to do that, then you, you deserve, you know, you deserve the recognition. Has it changed the way in which you behave in public? Do you feel as though you've got less space to, to let your hair down now than you did five years ago? People are sort of looking to you as a bit of a role model? Oh, definitely five years. Well, five years ago, I was eighteen, so of course, you know, I'm, I'm human. I was um, having a good time, but I think these days, well, as of not not even after this particular incident, the second I ended up in Melbourne and was not not that I wasn't when I was playing for Brisbane, but I think that the media and the attention that came around the fact that I was at Carlton and Carlton being a big club, you know, like it's it's not just a a logo; it's a an incredible place like that people feel is their home and, and they feel so passionate about and they feel so protective of. So the second I, you know, mess up, that's not only messing up as Taylor, it's messing up as, as Carlton. So I took that on board very literally uh, and I made a super conscious effort to, um, to make sure I'm never seen in a bad light or never caught up in anything that is untoward or um, I, I just, I just don't want to. I feel like I've got too, I'm too passionate and I'm too committed to the cause of trying to do good things. I just, you know, I don't have time to get caught up in anything um, not so good. And not saying I, I would do anything bad, but it, there's so many scenarios that people can misinterpret. People can take a photo and you, you, you blink for half a second and then all of a sudden someone makes up a story about how, you know, how that interaction was. And it's just crazy. Like you have to consider this. And if you don't, you're, you're naive. 
So I've been reading your uh, 2020 book, uh, More Than a Kick, uh, Footy, the Photo and Me, to my 11-year-old son, Theodore, at, uh, as bedtime reading. He's been loving it. Uh, and do you feel, I mean, there's a lot about your training, there's a lot about your cross-training, but there's also a lot about social media. Uh, you're pretty active, particularly on, uh, on Instagram, putting your, uh, your photos out there. Um, is this the book that you wished you had when you were uh, uh, going onto, onto social media? Well, I'm, I'm glad Theodore likes it and um, I hope he continues to enjoy it. Uh, and yeah, uh, for sure. Like I definitely wish that some of the advice in that book, not only from myself, but from Patty Kinnersley, uh, who's the CEO of Our Watch, she gives some really realistic and, and um, important advice and also for parents as well. I think it's, yeah, it's so important to understand this world and you can't, you can't turn a blind eye like social media is what it is it's a beast like it's not it's great for sure but it's also awful in some ways and if you don't protect yourself and your kids like you you'll open up you open yourself up to some very dangerous things and as much as it, it shouldn't be that way it just is so I'm, I'm very realistic and I think uh, a, a book like that if that can help a kid or a parent or anyone get through a particular scenario then then please read it and and the effort was completely worth it because it's yeah I, I often am in a love-hate relationship with social media obviously because I've I've seen the worst but I've also seen the best like people message me and say some lovely things and will message me for advice or message me you know to to let me know how their footy game went and I know that me messaging back and saying wow that's awesome like well done that's going to make someone's day or week or or year so um that, that's how I think about social media I'm very cautious of it but I'm also very aware that it's a it's an incredible way to have access to these people that you look up to and and fortunately that I am one of them to to some people and I think that's a role that I don't take lightly you have uh, a section at the end of the book called clicks in which you uh, you talk about some of your tips for uh, for managing the online world which I guess would be relevant for uh, for uh, anyone listening, as, uh, particularly parents, um, I want to ask you about a couple of them. Uh, you say you try not to measure your life against other people's posts. How do you do that? Well, I, um, you might notice on my social media, like I just post what, you know, what I'm doing, what I feel like. I've got my dog on there. Um, it doesn't matter if I'm all sweaty, if I'm all, you know, looking a bit, bothered like I just think it's so important to actually show people and I have social media obviously to be able to share what I'm up to but so my friends can see who are interstate so my family so, my, so the people that I met overseas and um, and I thought were interesting people so I can keep up with what they're doing and they can do vice versa so I think social media has kind of taken a bit of a oh, a turn that I don't love and that is that kind of competition between yourself and others and I, I just don't think it should be like that I think everyone should kind of see each other's stuff and think oh cool that you know that looks like fun I, um, maybe I'll give that a go one day or um, just yeah supporting each other as opposed to that competition because it's not healthy like of course you know I could orchestrate a photo and look like I've got the best life ever but um, it's it's not real and it's and you have to understand that some people do do that you know some people create a an engineered version of of their life and it's not necessarily the case and um, I think it's also the other way around like some people kind of show or don't show you know their, their real life and 
it's concerning because you know people want to help each other and you don't allow them to unless you kind of let let them see um where you're at and what you do where do you draw the line between uh negative comments that you'll engage with and and moments where you'll just delete a comment or or block the person yeah well i'll I mean, it depends what mood I'm in, but <laughs> uh, <laughs> like swearing, that can go. Um, and anything nasty or hurtful, that can go, you know, you block straight away, no problem. Um, if people are genuine, if I can tell that someone's genuinely, you know, confused or has an opinion about something or someone that is not necessarily hurtful, but just, you know, a bit uneducated, then I'm happy to kind of go back and shed some light for them. and and depending on their reaction, like whether I engage even further, but I've, there's been plenty of times where I've actually gone back to someone with not necessarily a smart ass comment, but just, you know, matter of fact, and they've come back or either direct message or commented and said like, thank you for helping me understand that. Like, I just didn't know. And, and I think that's a really important thing not to look past. Like not everyone is bad. Not everyone is trying to be hurtful. They're just not educated. And that's, that's because this kind of, this conversation, this world, AFLW women's sport is it's new, it's coming and there's gonna be a lot of people who aren't necessarily across it as much as I am and you are and uh, other people who who have been involved for a lot longer. Do you worry that you end up spending too much time on social media? These uh, technologies are, are set up to be addictive. Uh, they're, they're designed by people who know an awful lot about addictive behaviours. Do you find yourself getting sucked into them too readily? No, I don't. I consider a big part of it, unless I'm actually just kind of laughing at funny things, I consider it as a job as well. So obviously I have a responsibility to be a role model as a footy player and a boxer and I allow young people to see my content and then they kind of uh, might get inspired by it and things like that. So I see that as my job and, and I'll dedicate the appropriate time to that. But I'm not, yeah, I'm not really someone who spends overly or too much time on social media. Like I'll, I feel like I'm probably quite normal in that sense, or quite measured, I should say. But I have to ask you about your uh, your your tattoos. Um, what's with them? Uh, why do you have so many? And, and what are your favourites? Well, I, I just have tattoos because I I just like them, and I um, I basically do what I want. And uh, my favourites. Oh, there's too many. I've got a lot of them. Tell us about some of them then. What's on your knuckles? Uh, I've got um, on my knuckles is the words or the word oxymoron um, and I feel like that probably represents me a little bit and um, the way I go about things is uh, I suppose pretty straightforward and um, but I am someone who's, who does uh, you know does care a lot and um, is quite considered in my approach to a lot of things but you know when, when it you talk about footy like I probably go about things in a in a aggressive um it would seem from the outset manner but in reality i'm i'm doing that for my my team I, yeah it, I, it's kind of hard to explain but i just think it's a, it's a word that i resonate with um yeah. and then i've got a couple other ones that are basically just designs i've got judge judy portrait and it says only judy can judge me um so yeah there's a couple <laughs> uh and uh, some references to your family in there too yeah, I've, yeah, I've got a few. I've got a mother-daughter kind of symbol um, 
a few that kind of circular shapes that wrap around and look like a mother and daughter. And then I've got mum and dad's handwriting on my wrists and dad's side says, always here for you, love dad. And mum's side says, love you always, mum. So but yeah, in, in their handwriting, which I think is quite cool. Did either of them have any hesitation about uh, writing that out so it could be a tattoo? Uh, they didn't know. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> you tricked them into doing the tattoos. I did, uh, but they don't mind. Like that, Dad has you know a big tattoo on his arm and back, and Mum has one on her lower back, so she can never say anything, and neither can Dad. <laughs> so that's basically the way I got. <laughs> I love it. Uh, Taylor, just to, uh, to, to, to wrap up, let me ask you a couple of standard questions I asked all my interviewees. Um, what advice would you give to your teenage self? Oh, I think um, take things on. You know, like it, I was probably quite um, hesitant or reluctant to, to try new things, even so, so much so like food. I was pretty um, not very adventurous with food. And now that I've lived in Melbourne and I've got these amazing um, restaurants all around me, I have to, I have to try all this, this great food and um, all these amazing cultures or cultural foods and cuisine. So, you know, in all aspects, try things and give things a go. And if they don't work out, that's okay. You know, it's not the end of the world. It's, it's, um, it's a learning experience. And um, I definitely have done that since moving to Melbourne. And I think the the first step for me was deciding I'm going to move. And then I just, you know, went with it. I went, you know, all in and I decided I'm going to, I'm going to always do this. I'm always going to do what I think is going to be good for me, um, but also it might be challenging, but I'm going to do it um, because it could be great. And how's the acting classes going in amidst lockdown? Are you keeping them up? Oh, it's hard because it's, it's not the same. Like I'm a, I would much prefer to be seeing people in, in person and I'd love to you know, work on that in real life because you know, it's already hard enough. Um, over over a screen but yeah i need that real inter human interaction which will come so you know i'll keep working on working on that and i'll um i'll get there eventually what's something you used to believe but no longer do that failing was a bad thing i think it's something that like for example we carlton lost the grand final against adelaide last year but Oh, sorry, the year before last, but there's no way in the world had we have, you know, well, had things have gone differently, our season wouldn't have unfolded or our group wouldn't have been as tight knit as it is now. And I think that's one example, but I think, you know, failing is it's scary for sure, but it's not bad. It's, it's something that you have to consider as something that's productive and something that's helpful as opposed to, uh, it's deteriorating or, or it's difficult, but it's not, it's not going to ruin you, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's so hard to, uh, to refocus and, uh, and turn, turn failures into opportunities. But if you can do it, it's such a, such a superpower. It is, and it's, it's, your advan like it's your advantage. If you can manage to do that, because so many people can't and so many people struggle to as an athlete or even any anything if you can manage to do that you are uh you're doing really well for yourself <laughs> taylor when are you most happy uh when i'm with my dog whose name is beans 
His name is Beans. Yeah. Uh, and what's uh, what's Beans' favourite activity? Is he going for a run with you? Yeah, he runs with me. He likes to he loves to swim, and I love it until I have to you know until he stinks and then I have to wash him. what's the most important thing you do in your life to stay mentally and physically healthy foster friendships and relationships and and family members and making sure that you're there well making sure that i'm actively listening to to my friends to my family and uh, making sure that they know that i'm willing to do anything for them and and going to make sure that I can be that that person if they ever need, and that's something that I love to do and be. Uh, so I think that's something that I that I do. And the physical activity must be pretty critical to your mental well-being as well, I imagine. Do you do you got two? Do you train twice a day? Yeah, yeah, twice at least say, but it's not necessarily train that structured. I probably, especially at the moment, like I'm just kind of doing what I feel like doing, um, and I. I do enjoy exercise and I enjoy activity. So whether it be actually running, boxing or footy, it could be random things like rock climbing or swimming or skateboarding or anything or bike riding. So I consider all of that training and all of that is as impactful as a very, as a super structured program, which works for some people. But for me, um, I'll tick the boxes of, of my my jobs and my training that I need to get done. But in terms of cross training and things like that, I think it's one of the most important things to adopt into your routine. Do you think you're going to be able to, to stay with that extraordinary breadth of cross training as you, uh, as you get more and more successful, or are you going to have to, to go to a sort of narrower, more repetitive, perhaps slightly more boring program? Oh, I refuse to, I'm going to continue to do <laughs> things the way that I do them and I'm going to continue to explore training methods. And um, I believe, I genuinely believe that that's my advantage and that's my point of difference. Um, I feel like the reason that I can, you know, that I can jump the way I do is because when I was younger, I would just every time I was at the shopping center, I'd jump up and try and touch the, the shop signs. Um, or I, I wakeboard and water ski a lot because that's how I grew up. And I think that that's helped me with my balance a lot. So there's, Oh, and rock climbing like I love to not not anything crazy but like I just like to or I used to like to go rock climbing a lot and I think that helps me obviously with my upper body strength so um yeah I mean it's too boring to just do things over and over and over again but if you have these other outlets then it just gives you a point of difference and that no one else has do you have any guilty pleasures yeah I love chocolates um and i'm not opposed to ice cream and things like that um i struggle a lot well not struggle but like I, it is a challenge for sure um when i have to cut weight for a fight i'm i just lost about 10 kilos for a fight last year um and um you know i'm not I'm not overweight um so that was pretty challenging for me but it was so challenging that i became obsessed with and I became so dedicated to the cause and I wanted to make sure that um, I reached that goal, which was to be a certain weight, obviously, with boxing. And not only did that weight division mean that I could be a two-division Australian champion, but also it's an achievement. Like, to, to, to manage to be that weight is a very important, well, incredibly hard thing to do, but the discipline required is just amazing. So now I know that not only can I 
can I be that disciplined with food? But like I can, my body can function on, on that kind of lack of energy. And it's amazing. I got to learn so much about myself, about my body when I went through that experience. Yeah, fasting gives you a, a different attitude to food, doesn't it? Uh, that's that sense. Not that you must have it, but that uh, it's nice to nice to have. Uh, finally, Taylor, which person or experience has most shaped your view of living an ethical life? Oh, I think um, definitely, obviously, the kicking photo incident. I, I was opened my eyes to a lot of a lot of amazing things in society, but also some pretty confronting things that that go on and things that need to be addressed and um and I feel like my push allowed to be fast-tracked even a little bit you know like to to becoming a more equal society and a more respectful society but um yeah I mean there's there's a long way to go that's for sure but I'm definitely committed to continuing to stand up for myself to stand up for people who don't necessarily have a voice um it it allowed me to sh- it allowed me to realize that my the resilience that I have is there and it's it's strong and it's it's burning so um I'll continue to utilize that and acknowledging that it's not easy like what I did was not easy like people don't just stand up in front of a press conference and talk about uncomfortable situations but I did it so um you know I've I've ticked that off and I can do it again and I'm prepared to do it again and Taylor Harris uh boxer, footballer and role model. Thanks so so much for taking the time to share your wisdom on the Good Life podcast today. My pleasure. Thanks so, so much for having me and take care. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of The Good Life, Andrew Lee in conversation. If you enjoyed this discussion, I reckon you'll love past interviews with Sue Reid, Kurt Fernley and Ellen Broad. I have a new book out at the end of September. It's called Reconnected. It's co-authored with Nick Terrell and you can pre-order it on the Black Ink website now. We appreciate getting feedback on this podcast, so please leave us a rating or a comment on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. It really helps others find the show. Next week, we'll be back with another inspiring guest to discuss living a happier, healthier and more ethical life.